You are listening to Agency Work, the podcast that provides career advice for people who want to work at a creative agency. I'm your host, Parker Playstead. Today, I have a few friends with me in the podcast studio. Hi. Hello. (laughs) Say something so everybody knows you're here. Thanks for having us, Parker. All right. Well, this is going to be a fun, fun episode. So Scott Sherman is here. Scott is an associate professor and the advertising sequence coordinator for the Robertson School of Media and Culture at VCU. And I met him through the Advertising Club of Richmond, so he's very much plugged into the advertising world here in Richmond. Dion Cumpy. Dion is a senior account manager at Elevation, and she was my first guest for season two of this podcast. And we have Justin Corey. Justin is the recording engineer on the podcast and manages digital marketing for Red Amp Audio. Justin is also in a local band called The Northerners. So Justin sits in on all these episodes. You don't know he's there because he's so quiet, but he's in the room making sure that we're recording all this stuff properly and taking care of me as the, the guy from Red Amp Audio making sure this all works right. So it's fun to have Justin uh, on the podcast instead of just sitting in. Um, So anyway, so we're here. So Scott, Dion, Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to be here. here. All right. So this is the season review. We're going to go through each of the 14 episodes, talk about the guests and the topics. So our first guest was Dion, who's sitting here with us. And Scott uh, is going to be the lead on uh, the critique of Dion's uh, podcast, but she talked about advertising strategy and works at a local agency here. Uh, works at a local agency here called Elevation. And so, Scott. Well, uh, Dion uh, showed her deep passion and extensive extensive knowledge for the account management and ad strategy uh, categories. She, uh, it was like a real quick summary. It was like reading a textbook on the course of intro to account management or ad strategy. Um, I was trying to take notes and I couldn't keep up with her. Um, I kept hitting pause and uh, it was a lot of good information and lots of it. She covered topics like the five elements of ad strategy, comparison and contrast of ad strategy and brand strategy, five things you need to know for brand positioning, three next projects that she was working on, or neat projects, uh, three modern-day marketers, uh, things that the modern-day marketers need, five stakeholders that account managers work with, four recommended books, two on storytelling, <laughs> two on account planning, things she looks for in a recent grad, an exploration of agency culture and agency size, uh, and the benefits of each, and how to excel in them. The podcast was a demonstration of her passion and her expertise and the qualities that are needed to be a good strategic ad person. And, and if I needed an agency to market my business, I'd want Elevation, and I'd want Dion on my team. Absolutely. All right, Justin, what did you think about that episode? I want to know what those books were, oh. <laughs> <laughs> on the, on, specifically on storytelling. Well, I use Made to Stick in one of my classes, yeah. uh, the class yeah. that I'm using now, and it's an it's exceptional book on uh, m- evaluating ideas and sharing ideas, how to make an idea yeah. uh, engage with the audience. I think one of those was in our book club. What that's true. That's true. I think it was the art of storytelling. Is that one of those? 
Um, well, when I'm I was, a big book buff. <laughs> That's the problem. When I was editing her episode and I finished up editing it and it was getting ready on Sunday before it went live on Monday, I sent Dion an email saying, one, I think it's a great episode. Two, I'm glad I've recorded a few more episodes already because once this episode goes live, I'm worried that nobody will accept an invitation to come on the podcast <laughs> because you've set the bar so high for the content. I was really worried about that. I was you know, like, man, nobody's going to want to follow Dion after they hear that episode. So I had a few more that were already recorded. I was so happy with that. And to my surprise, we actually pulled off 14 episodes. So you didn't, you didn't scare anybody away, no. at least as far as I know. <laughs> Um, Apparently, I like numbers because there were <laughs> lots of lists. I'm sorry about that. It was, it was good. It was very efficient. Yeah. It was good. It was, it was information-packed. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on to the next episode. was uh, Episode two was Elizabeth Edelman, who talked about media relations, and her company is Golden Word. And I was so excited to get Elizabeth in here. When I came back to Richmond in 2014, I heard about the company Leadberry and started paying attention to them mm-hmm. and was really impressed with uh, the PR work that was being done for Leadberry. So when I was putting together season two, I said to myself, I, I got to find the person who did that. I need to have that person on the podcast. Found it was Elizabeth Edelman and invited her to be on the podcast. And she said yes. And so I was really happy about that. So, uh, Scott. Yeah. What were your thoughts on on Elizabeth? Well, the takeaway that I had from that podcast, um, the takeaways are that Elizabeth and Golden Words, uh, they have courage to do big things. And uh, their clients are small or on the smaller side, um, but they they go after national press and they get it. And uh, and, uh, Elizabeth went through sort of their process. and uh, one of the things she talked about was the, the value of the chemistry that she has with her clients, but also with the press. Um, and it really showed that she cares a lot about her client's se- success, like, you know, all good PR people do. It's a 24-7 commitment. It's, it's sort of a 360-degree awareness of opportunities. And she told a, a nice story about... Um, an out-of-town bachelorette party that she was at, and and it turned into a me- media relations opportunity for Hardywood, her client, and it all happened in Ashland, uh, North Carolina, probably hundreds of miles away from her office and from Hardywood, um, and uh, so the uh, the relationships are critical and uh, go for big media splash, and it can happen. And uh, one of the, the things I, th- I liked was that she talked about making the ask easy um, and uh, easy for the, the media to consider your story um, and uh, focus on the highest point of, of contribution, which is an idea from a book, another book uh, uh, reference. And the book was called Essentialism, which I have not read, but I, I like it. I have it. read. I yeah. love that book. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful. good book, yeah. Somebody at work gave it to Mm -hmm. me, too. Um, Fantastic. All right. Justin, what were your thoughts? Um, My biggest takeaway um, from that podcast would have been when she was describing looking for a job and not to blast out, you know, your application to a thousand different places to really hone in and narrow down on what what you want to do, what you're going after, and looking for the best opportunities. 
Cool. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I've been out there looking for a job and yeah, people say, oh, it's a numbers game and blast it out. No, it's not a numbers game. Mm -hmm. uh, focus on the, the companies you really want to work for and, and develop a, a well thought out uh, pitch to them. And Dion, what there, were there were so many things I liked about this. She talked about the concept of relationship brokering. And I love that idea. Um, because she's in it for the long haul. And she talked about the importance of third-party endorsements in PR and making a list of top gets and how you can parlay one of your top gets into a longer relationship and something that's real. And so it becomes more natural affinity with the brand and you can um, take it more places. And it, it's just a wonderful um, idea and I like how she works it. Um, I also was struck, Scott, by how she talked about making it easy for the editor, the mm -hmm. journalist, so you can easily fit into their process and get a conversation going. Right. Um, and then the other thing was, again, I was struck on that piece too, if you can't pitch yourself, right. then how are you going to be able to pitch for one of her clients? Mm -hmm. And the fact that the cover letter is essentially a pitch letter in PR. Mm -hmm. So all of those things, she, she had a lot of wonderful pieces of wisdom. It was yeah. good. It was good. I, it, we got this season off to a really good start. Mm -hmm. Then we had Beth Saunders and Trisha Watkins from uh, Lewis Media Partners, and the topic was media planning. And media planning has changed quite a bit over the years, and digital has uh, had a big impact on some shifts in media planning and to some extent made it much more complex in uh, the scope of media planning. So, Dion, what did you think about Beth and, and the and Tricia in the Lewis Media Partners episode. You know, I like that when they talk about TV, when people still talk about TV, they don't mean TV in the way that we may have thought about it years ago. TV is um, something viewable on any screen, even though you may still say TV. And so I think that's a, a paradigm shift for people today just to get around, you know, TV is still relevant. And they gave the stats on, you know, how much traditional media is still being done in addition to digital. I think they said something like 40% is still traditional media, which is um, something other than it, uh, what lives in a digital space. Um, but the importance of being analytical and the fact that they hire people um, who are going to have an affinity with the numbers. They've got a strong intern program in different ways that people can learn and, and contribute to the business and follow their interest and what they're good at to leverage it for the clients. Um, they talked about how they take that when you're on staff and you apply and learn and pivot as needed. That's a really big part of it, whether you're in the digital space or the traditional space. And being able to have a, a real mix of qualitative, and quantitative research that's needed to understand media consumption because it's not about the available media. It's how people are consuming the media that mm -hmm. really matters in your mix. Yeah, and people are sh consuming it but also sharing it and, and, mm -hmm. and interacting in ways that didn't happen before. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Beth has taught a class with us at VCU on uh, media planning. And, uh, and she really engaged. She did a great job with the students. The students loved it, and they learned a lot about it, and they got really excited about media planning and media buying. And, um, uh, and, and the internship program is, is a fantastic uh, program. So a lot of people don't even know that media planning exists, and so bringing people in, and, uh, and Lewis Media is a fantastic place to learn things and, and be engaged and really do uh, and to do the business, learn learn the business firsthand. And, and I like that they bring them to meetings. You know, Beth was telling a story right. about how you may start that morning and um, start that morning and be in a client meeting the same day. A, that's fearless. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that means you've chosen a good intern if you're bringing them to a meeting the first day. And then the other thing is it, it really lets you see what the business is about. And I've always felt like that's really important. Don't just set an intern in the office, but in, expose them to all the pieces of yeah. the business. Yeah. Yeah, I think the um, I mean, media buying and all that is something that's new to me. Um, I've only, you know, I've only been working here for like a year now, but getting into that, I think it's fascinating, like the different channels of media and that broadcast and television are not dead, like they said. You know, if you, I think if you put everything 100% into social, you're probably making a mistake. And I think it's just fascinating to create how they come up with the value of a television spot versus an Instagram ad versus, you know, a broadcast radio. Um, I wanted to tag one other thing on that because we didn't mention, but Trisha actually, when she spoke, she was talking about how she was an intern and now she manages that program. And I think mm-hmm. that speaks a lot to how they train people in the business and also to be able to give back to people in the ad community so that they can continue to grow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the next episode. It was Rick Whittington of Whittington Consulting, and the topic was inbound marketing. And he describes his agency as a growth agency. He helps customers uh, gather leads for their business. So a lot of service-oriented businesses getting leads that their salespeople can follow up on. And he recognized that as he's been doing this for several years, that as he was starting out with being a lead agency, he was finding clients weren't following up on the leads. And then coming back to him and saying, well, the leads aren't any good. And so he got into, yeah, that's, you know, it's a bad situation. He is like, wait a minute, you know, I, I got these leads for you. You don't follow up on them. Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. Yes. The leads are weak. Yeah, the leads are weak. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross, good reference. So he's, uh, he's gotten into helping them with managing their leads and uh, customer relationship management uh, efforts, uh, putting together processes for them and working in HubSpot as part of uh, the technology that they use uh, to help the customers manage their leads, collect the leads. Um, so I thought that was a good topic. And I, another uh, topic or agency style that I was excited to get in here in the podcast and have him talk about the work that he was doing. From my standpoint, I was I was excited to hear him talk about the repeatable sales processes um, and their system, and it's based on success rates. And how can you really improve those over time? But you have to be able to repeat them to know how to improve them. So I thought that was really valuable. And the other thing is um, he talked about the free courses that are available and the certifications on HubSpot. And I've taken some of those, and they are phenomenal. And it's just good for anybody in the business to be able to dedicate time to learning it, whether it's on HubSpot or another um, platform. But they they teach information that you can use a- across the, you know, across the sphere. And do you think that's important for just people in the sales category or sales positions or? I don't actually. I think it's valuable. So I do account management, as you know, and Mm -hmm. and I found it valuable to understand. It helps me better advise my clients. It helps me better evaluate the work that we do as an agency so that I I know we can improve it a certain way or have a different idea. Um, I think anyone working in the business should be familiar with the things that your clients are familiar with. You mm-hmm. need to know it as well as they do. And um, and learning how to be a good you know, email marketer or anything like that today is, is really important because it's not just the email, it's how you receive it, the landing page and all those pieces. So I think HubSpot is um, a great resource for that education. Anything else? All right, well, I, I agree. And, and, and I see more and more um, companies using HubSpot 
um, is part of the, the wave of content marketing. I did like that he talked about, uh, there was a, a book he referenced, The Ideal Team Player, talked about the fact that you need to be humble, hungry, and smart, and he also referenced curious, and I think curious is an oh, essential component yeah. of oh, all things. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about a book. Mm. There's a book called Curious. Oh, well, let's check well, it out, yeah. too. Be, <laughs> be curious, yeah. I know. You've got to continue to be curious. I teach a class called Curiousness. See? There you go. All right, it's so another good theme. Another plug. Another plug. Yeah. <laughs> and yet another book reference. Another yeah. quite a library going I love books. I'm all about books. Um, okay. So the next episode, episode five, we had Patrice Lewis and Sarah Murphy in here talking about the Public Relations Society of America, PRSA, and the PRSSA, which is uh, involved with the student chapters. Right. And so they're both on the board. They work at different companies, but they're both board members of the PRSA. Um, and I'd like to, to get in uh, to this podcast some of these organizations that help people. In season one, we had a couple of organizations. We had the Advertising Club of Richmond mm -hmm. and the AMA. And this was good to have the PRSA um, mm -hmm. featured in yeah. the podcast. Yeah, the PRSA is the Public Relations Society of America. And they have a student chapter, PRSSA, uh, Public Relations Student Society of America. It's a it's a mouthful. Um, Patrice is the Diversity and Inclusion Chair in the PRSA, and uh, Sarah Murphy is the Student Relations Chair of the PRSA. And uh, and what they showed was that people on boards of industries of organizations like this and the Ad Club and the AMA are uh, are valuable, giving, caring people. Um, and uh, with with Patrice, Patrice and the uh, diversity and inclusion aspect, um, I thought it was interesting the PRSA looks at diversity as embracing individuality. And I thought that was a really interesting sort of take or perspective. Um, and they have a campaign of uh, individual activities in Richmond, and they have uh, PRSA members uh, videotape things that they do, um, and uh, their perspective on diversity goes beyond race and gender and sexu sexual orientation to embrace individuality. Um, and Sarah's focus is on uh, student relations, um, the PRSA. So she organizes campus visits, uh, the mentoring program, tours of PR firms for students, and, and they highlight student work. Um, one of the interesting programs that they did is they have uh, the student organizations have a social media takeover um, and it's the the PRSSA groups that that take over um, the social media presence uh, yeah. or account um, and it, they've done it with VUU, Virginia Union, Virginia State, uh, James Madison, VCU and Longwood um, and uh, just sort of in summary the PRSA it's excellent networking program. Um, they've got a lot of programming, uh, so events and, and talk uh, speakers and things. Um, and I really took away from both of them that it's good people doing good things um, and uh, and just making good things happen. Yeah, and it's uh, it's nice to have these organizations in Richmond, and I'm sure they're in other cities. We know they're in other cities, yeah. but it's nice to have these organizations in Richmond is. Um, is a way for people to network and learn and grow in their careers. So another great organization to feature on this podcast. I actually went to the 72nd Annual PRSA Awards 
recently. So that was phenomenal. The room was packed. There was great work. Where was it? Um, it was in. Was ooh, it you got me. In a room. The it was in. Uh, Ultra Theater. No. no. Oh, you got me. <laughs> it is so close to my office. It was in Richmond, wasn't it? I'm embarrassed. Yes, it was. No. Nice. Well, I, I will say I, I saw on social media that Kelly Vance won an award, and Kelly was uh, in season one, and so Kelly won an award at that at that awards event recently, and was up on social media. So anyway, yeah. was, yes. Um, so they highlight the students. There's a, right. a diverse number of awards, and I was really surprised by how many um, things they recognize. Right, so there were speeches, and there were. Um, you know, there were brochures and there were different things. There's some crossover between the different organizations in town. Yeah. That was one of the things I was struck by. Mm -hmm. um, but I saw a lot of VCU-related uh, organizations yeah, winning. The, That's right. The PRSSA group at VCU is very strong. Mm -hmm. uh, Judy Crenshaw runs the, is the faculty lead on that, and uh, she works hard, and the students are really engaged and excited. And, right. And, and they love that the – the agencies, the firms, and the, the PR departments of organizations in Richmond are very active in it and tours and things like that. Well, so. and it's really competitive. It's hard to win, um, from what I understand, because it's based on the results. So, right, yeah. PR, you can't buy it. You can't, you know, all those things. You're actually, um, you're trying to get the results. And so getting feature articles placed and things like that. Yeah. Well, one of the topics that I found amusing and really enjoyed about uh, Patrice talking about the social media campaign was talking about her uh, skill at eating. Yeah. <laughs> Which was funny that that's one of her skills and one of my skills. And I'm glad, I know she's glad that you're bringing it up. Yes. So. <laughs> and, and, but what I liked about it was the, the emphasis on uh, the restaurants, right? So if you're going to talk about diversity, one, we've got a really foodie environment here in Richmond these days, and the uh, origins of the foods at, in these restaurants and the variety of origins, and to use restaurants as a way to highlight diversity yeah. and inclusion, I thought was an interesting mm -hmm. approach to that, a, an interesting way to... And you could have brought that up without talking about Patrice's eating. Well, you got to go listen. you got to go <laughs> listen to the episode. <laughs> she she was will funny. now. It was funny. It was funny. Anyway, so, all right, go listen to the episode. <laughs> Um, we've got to move on. So the, the, <laughs> the next episode was uh, another food theme. All right. So uh, we go into episode six. We had Kendra Bailey Morris, who's a freelance writer, and the topic of her food writing is her topic of her writing is food. She writes about food, and she's got a strong background um, uh, teaching English and writing, and then getting into writing for publications, and then becoming a freelance writer. Uh, working for companies now, working on branded writing, but the theme uh, through her career of writing has been food and, and writing about food and beverages. And I follow her on Instagram and, and keep up with her that way. I really enjoyed that episode, and Justin was here. Uh, mm -hmm. Justin en enjoyed that episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the takeaways I had from Kendra's podcast was the code of ethics and transparency necessary as a food critic to build trust. Um, although social media is making those things a little more difficult to detect whether posts are sponsored or not, um, being transparent is, I feel like, in the best bet, or she feels like in the best bet, I do too, um, for your career long term, as well as the brands. Uh, another part of the podcast that stood out was before sending a journalist samples of food. 
<laughs> this is the infamous cheese story, as she says. Um, to reach out and make sure they're actually able to review your product. Um, it may seem like a common sense sort of thing, but the PR firm made a mistake in this case and not vetting Kendra and sent her pounds of spreadable cheese that <laughs> wound up going bad, I think, right? Yeah, she, she wasn't able to send them back. Yeah. Um, and my favorite thing she said on the podcast was, to be a great writer, you need to write as well as read all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like that she talked about um, anything that's uh, positioned mass, you know, like a mass email is irrelevant. You've got to be timely and relevant. You've got to know the beat of the person that you're reaching out to, their role, what they write about, i.e. not the packaged you know, products, right. um, and that there are four-to-one PR people to journalists. So they, those journalists are receiving a ton of email, and the first line of the email is your pitch. It's going to make or break it. You may not even get your email opened. So they're, they're overwhelmed. If you can be helpful, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott, any thoughts on Kendra's episode? Well, I uh, it that reminded me of the essentialism. Is mm-hmm. that the yeah. book? Essentialism. Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, and both of those people were PR people, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just heard that, and I said, "Oh, that kind of remember." And that 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 topic and that that philosophy is really really mm-hmm. strong. The four to one thing really surprised me. It surprised uh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's dwindling um, media people in terms of economics. Yeah, the economic, you know, publications going away and so on. And and she talked about the economics of her getting paid as a journal, as a as a writer Mm -hmm. Uh, working for a publication has changed dramatically. Um, One of the things I liked about that episode and, and as Dion knows, I have conversations with the guests leading up to the episodes and we work out an outline and. Uh, we may spend, you know, one, two, three hours, you know, planning the episode. So going through the planning with Kendra, we had great conversations. When we got in the podcast studio, I, I sat back and listened to Kendra in that mm-hmm. episode. She had a lot to say. And she's such a lovely person. As I think about my list of people who I would want to just go have coffee with and hang out with, mm-hmm. she's high on that list. I mean, she is just a lovely person to just kind of hang out and chat with and her stories and her insight. So I hope people appreciate that episode. It ended up being, I think, the longest episode of the season. But it was it was just fun. I enjoyed listening. And I've played it back recently. I enjoy listening to that episode and the uh, insights that she shares. So uh, it's you know, one of my takeaways from that episode with Kendra Bailey Morris. All right, the next one, uh, episode seven, we had Aaron Gibson from 903 Creative in here and the topic was graphic design. I loved this episode. Um, there were so many things that Aaron said that I really uh, agreed with and, and identified with. Uh, he talked about if design is simple, it's a bit like a glass house. Your ideas don't have anywhere to hide. And so you learn to do a lot with a little. Um, so simple and bold is really his um, his way of designing. There are other people on his staff, of course, that flesh that out and do it different ways as he's grown from a, a, a solo designer on to leading an agency. But um, as you're looking at that, he feels like simple, bold helps the brand sink a little deeper emotionally. 
And really, as you're going into design projects, you need to listen to the client and learn what will speak to their audience, because that's really what you have to design from. And a brand is stronger when there's consistency in who you partner with. So ideally, you know, they want to get in and partner with somebody and continue to work with them and all the touch points that go with it. And that is ideal. Um, they talked about how clients need to know the tone and messaging and vision when they start reaching out to a graphic designer. And then from there, the partnership with a graphic designer will allow it to to take shape. And you talked about taking care with how they shape each letter form, and I thought that was a beautiful illustration of how you build a brand. Um, he talked about knowing how each of the brand touch points will be consumed. And so when you get in the mind of the consumer, only when you get your mind into their shoes can you really create something that's going to be effective. Mm -hmm. He also talked about capturing all ideas, even if they don't seem connected at the time. Um, and that you need to get out as a designer and fuel your ideas with your interest and diverse life experiences. And only from that can you really have a rich pool to draw from. Yeah, I like that graphic design is such a visual um, craft. And he talked a lot about the strategic side of things and having, having thoughts and ideas and understanding the problem, understanding the consumer, understanding where it's going to where those two things, the consumer and the and the logo, let's say, are going to interact and understanding that before you get into the letter mm -hmm. form and the kerning or the exactly. color or something like that. He also talked about um, celebrating the wins without comparison. And as a designer, it's very subjective, you mm -hmm. know, whether people love your work or don't. So you, you see other people's work and you want to celebrate it out there without comparison. Um, and when you're getting feedback from clients, really consider their feedback carefully because they know their audience, but you can also critique your critiques as you get more experience. As long as you know the rationale for why you did things, then if you can have that dialogue, you can learn, again, what maybe you didn't know that they know, but it'll be a rich conversation. Mm -hmm. um, he also talked about as you're uh, growing a business, you need to consider how far you can and should take a design on particular timelines and budgets. And sometimes if you're really interested in pushing something, you really need to take it into your personal time. Yeah. 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 Which a lot of graphic designers tend to do a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. I enjoyed what he said about trying to land a job and being smart on social media. Um, <laughs> this isn't like Facebook. This is not 2009 Facebook where people, it was still new and people didn't check that stuff out. So I thought that was really good advice. I'm just blown away by sometimes what I see on social media <laughs> that people are putting out there in the public. Um, and also what he talked about networking um, and how that can be a challenge for introverts, but how important that is for landing a job. And I'm, I firmly believe you know your network is your net worth, as they say. So I thought Ooh, that was great. Nice. Great advice. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to be nice and, and those kind of things. And, and uh, life's too short. Yeah. Kind of thing. yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's uh, kind of, again, the kind of essentialism he's focused on. Right. Graphic design and branding work. Um, I don't remember any books that he mentioned. Though. I, I don't remember. Hmm. Well, yeah. people will have, have to go listen back. to that episode <laughs> yeah. and see if there's a book reference. There's yeah. There's a bunch of – those are Easter eggs. There are book references in a lot of these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, our next guest was Lauren Fleming in, in episode eight, and she works at Flatland Creative, and people may remember in season one I had Elias Dancy here from Flatland Creative, and so Lauren works with Elias and talks about animated illustration, um, and it was a, another cool episode. I love Lauren's episode. 
I'm blown away. She had such a great energy when she was in here on the mic, and every time I've spent any time with her, I'm just like, I don't know. She just has like a pizzazz, I guess. Um, I loved that she found her love for drawing and animating at a, such a young age, um, especially when it was is come from a from the love of Adventure Time, which I don't know, have you all ever seen that show, Adventure Time? Okay, <laughs> you gotta, like I'm too old for it. <laughs> so um, I actually went back because I have a younger sisters that watched you it. See, but if you're too old, then I'm not even allowed. <laughs> it's in definitely the room. it's worth it. It's like it's yeah. adults will think it's funny too. Okay. Um, and uh, I believe then after she saw Adventure Time, her parents bought her a tablet, Wacom tablet. Mm-hmm. Is that the right yeah, way to say it? Wacom. Wacom. Yeah. Wacom. W a c o m. And, uh, and then she jumped into character drawings, comics, and backgrounds. Um, I also thought it was cool and serendipitous that Danielle Feinberg, the director of photography at Pixar, came to her, um, I think it was her senior year graduation. Was was sen- well, no, it was uh, early in her senior year at uh, St. Catharines, her high school. Right. So while she was uh, trying to figure out where she was going to go to college and what she was going to do in life, uh, this lady from Pixar showed up and gave a talk at school, and that's when it clicked for her that she hey, could do it for a living. Right, right. She, it was like a eureka yeah. moment. And I thought that was yeah. I thought that was so neat, um, and it, you know, provided a great example for what was possible, and sent her into her career path. Um, yeah, my, one of the more important takeaways I got from was uh, excuse me on that podcast was Lauren's advice on finding your own voice and promoting that, and not trying to copy others or create your own versions of others' work, but to be as original as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep fan art out of your portfolio. Yeah. Fan art. Um, yeah, so fan art uh, being, you know, drawing stuff that uh, other artists have drawn, and you're being a fan of that by doing your own, uh, you know, scene of, of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it, it was interesting energy in, in that episode with Lauren, um, and she was excited to come in here. What most people don't know is Lauren sat in on Elias's episode, so she was in the room while I, Elias was uh, being interviewed for season one, hmm. and that's when we started talking about bringing her back for season two. So glad to have her come back in. She talked about the people that you're competing with when you're actually getting into the business are already in the workforce. Don't try to compete with your peers. Compete with somebody who's in their 30s and 40s and you know, work at it until you learn what they already know. And I thought that was really valuable mm-hmm. advice. Set your sights higher and figure out how to learn those things because you, you, know, you can't have that number of years experience, but you certainly can have the talent and the skill. Um, it's available if you work for it. So she also talked about putting hard work into the portfolio so that her portfolio can work hard for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. the harder you work at your portfolio. Right. So um, the, uh, the next episode was uh, Janine Nock, and that was episode nine. And Janine talked about user experience design. And this is a topic that's way outside my wheelhouse. And every time I have somebody in here, I, I kind of glaze over because I don't understand any of it. <laughs> um, but I understand that it, it's an important topic. And, and it's, a, um, you know, it's fascinating, even though I don't understand it. It's fascinating. And I had two people from season one in here talk about user experience design. So I was glad to have Janine come back in or come in and join us for season two and talk about user experience design. And she goes through some very structured processes. She describes some very structured processes in the early part of the episode um, 
which again, I think is really important and interesting and useful information. And if you're in user experience design, I think you'll understand what she mm-hmm. was talking about and, and get it. If you're, you're not interested in user experience design or that's not your thing, it may not hold your attention. That episode may not hold your attention. But um, it's a topic that I think it was an important topic to have in season two, and I was glad she came in. Um, there's uh, some other stuff in the episode um, Justin, you uh, kind of had a comment about uh, the hustle in L.A. Oh, <laughs> that was Janine, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we won't spoil it for you. Go go listen to that episode, uh, listen to her days in L.A. I, I like the concept that she talked about game storming. Yeah. And I haven't pursued it. She mentioned a book, and she mentioned a book. I'm going to go out. I know I'm going to go check it out, but I haven't yet. Um, But gamestorming, being playful brainstorming to really meet consumer needs and inviting um, different people into the process so that you can open the thinking. And she specifically... referenced a an exercise called design jam is one she recommends so i'm going to check it out because she was really definitive on that point Um, she talked about holistic design for user experience and and just referenced different uh, leaders in that space that you could look um, to for that and uh, the importance of designing for inclusion and understanding what people want and need um, and being able to address both of those i thought that was really valuable yeah, she, I, 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 w- I was surprised at the, the process and a lot of user experience people I've, I've heard talk about their process a lot more than I think other maybe designers mm-hmm. might. Um, I just, I'm, I'm not sure, I have never done any science to see, but mm-hmm. I, I hear their processes a, a lot, methodologies of, of how they approach projects. Yeah, very structured stuff. Right. Um, and yeah. a lot of uh, user research, you know, and, and she talked about, uh, holistic design and design for inclusivity or inclusion mm-hmm. or something right. like that so that you're really trying to uh, uh, get outside of what you think is a good design mm-hmm. and try to uh, think how other people would uh, view it or see it or interact with it. Um, and it's it's such an invisible craft when it's done well. Um, right. I, I think when it we see... It seems intuitive yeah. when it's done. Right. Mm-hmm. And... And I don't think of graphic design that way or architecture or something. And, but user experience will, if it's done right, it just disappears. And, yeah. Uh, so. yeah. You notice it when it's not done right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. The next episode, uh, season two, episode 10, was Doug from Off Grid with Doug and Stacy. And so this was me interacting with Doug. Doug phoned in. So a little different episode. It was um, He wasn't here in the studio with me. I usually like to have the guest in the studio with me. It's more fun, more energy. But Doug is somebody that I've worked with uh, before as an influencer and uh, talked about his background and how it's important to have an authentic connection. If you're going to work with influencers, you want them to have an authentic connection to whatever it is they're working with from you, whether it's a product or a service. So they need to be authentically using your product or service. And then even more, Doug is very authentic in his connection to his followers. And he talked about that. So it was fun to, to bring Doug in. And, and some of this was actually inspired by the conversation with Kendra Bailey Morris. And we talked about mm-hmm. the ethics. Very similar. Um, mm-hmm. So, Justin, uh, that was another episode that you seemed to enjoy listening in on. I did. Well, Doug's definitely a character. Um, and that one was pretty much, I mean, he called in over Skype, yeah, right? Is yeah. he in Missouri? He's in Missouri, yeah. Okay. 
Um, yeah, and I, I took away that the reason why Doug is such a great influencer for the, these products like the polycarbonate materials for the greenhouses is because he's actually using them um, and he's not promoting products like a weight loss smoothie or like, you know, men's basketball shoes or something that's completely, you know, off brand. Um, they make sense for him uh, to be promoting and he can also show you and demonstrate these products on YouTube, which is better than a commercial because it's long form so you have the interact the customer's interaction with the product is actually you're actually spending more time than if they just had a photo ad or you know a, a little spot on the radio um, and it's also because he'll tell you the pros and the cons which I think adds to his authenticity and builds trust even more with the consumer yeah, yeah. To, to, to keep somebody engaged for as I don't know how long his typical videos are but to yeah, keep like, a branded message for that long he's he's giving something that yeah. the people are interested in oh how do i make this mm -hmm. oh here we go put him or how do i use and it'll this be like product. how to he'll build the thing that the he thing, got right too you know right. so it's uh so there's the entertainment aspect he is a character um but then there's that authenticity and trust that is so important in his business well, that's what yeah. I was going to say. You talked about before you start looking to work with influencers, make sure and carefully vet them, yeah. see how they're interacting with their audience, because that's what you will get. Yeah, that's right. their right. thing. Right. Mm -hmm. If they're not interacting yeah. with the audience, it's less authentic. Exactly. And, and I can tell you, uh, I took him on the road with me to some uh, uh, trade show kind of things. There were fairs. There were the Mother Earth News fairs around the country. We went to Vermont. We went to Oregon. went to Pennsylvania and then in Kansas. And he drew a crowd. I mean, people showed up to wow. see him and Stacy. Couldn't believe. And, uh, and he's such a character. And he's so um, he, he's a former salesman. So he's very good socially with people. Yeah. And and Stacy as well. And so the people would come in and and people talked about driving five miles, five hours, right, five hours, to show up to these things just to meet them. Wow. Um, and and they really engaged with their audience. And you know, I'd go to these events with them, and I'd see other celebrities who were featured speakers and so on. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they got off the stage, they were running to get away from the crowds. I mean, they just you know they didn't want to interact. And, right. uh, and Doug and Stacy love interacting. Um, and part of uh, this was as I went around and did these fairs, uh, they brought people to the booth. They were such a magnet to right. the booth. And so I got a whole lot more people to come talk to me than I would have without them. Uh -huh. And another point was when you go to these fairs, and we saw this, there were booths that are kind of dead and, and nothing's really going on. Yeah. Nobody wants to go over to a dead booth. Oh, right? yeah. You want to go over to the booth that's got people around and, and looks mm -hmm. like some energy and excitement going on. So they brought that for me. Um, so in addition to all the work he did for me as an influencer on YouTube, and he's got uh, around 270,000 followers on uh, YouTube and uh, you know close to a quarter million on uh, Facebook now um, that uh, that was good exposure but the uh, real-life stuff at the trade shows and and helping to promote our products and talk to people and bring them to the booth that was a, another element that was really successful so he remembered him. who his audience was but also remembered who was who his client was right in that and so he sounds like he did a great job of pleasing both of them yeah, yeah. he did and and because he was an authentic user he could answer their questions when they had right. questions about the product he had actually installed it and used it and so he could answer those questions yeah. um so how did he make the transition from sales to 
he I, I haven't really gotten into that with him, but he yeah. he used to be a car salesman and he used oh. to do, do some other sales stuff. And it, it, uh, towards the end there, he was he had a lawn care uh, business, mm-hmm. and um, one of his complaints was uh, his his employees didn't want to work. Um, and he had you know trouble managing his lawn care employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, I think he kind of got tired of it and decided to uh, you know get this eleven acre farm, and uh, they left the city. And it's funny, you can see on social media some of the pictures of him years ago before he went down this path. He looks uh, quite a bit different before he went down this path. Hmm. And uh, now he lives the life uh, like the Amish do in, in Missouri. And um, and his videos are very entertaining. I mean, I, I was kind of worried whether I was going to get that level of entertainment in the podcast. And I don't think I quite got the energy that, that comes through in his, in his YouTube videos. So you got to go watch Doug of Off Grid with Doug and Stacy on YouTube to really get the full experience of them. Um, and you may stumble across a video with me in that they refer to me as the Uber driver as I would pick them up from the airport. Um, it's a compliment. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that, if I ever do a bloopers reel, there's some good bloopers uh, that I had to cut out um, from the, the phone in there. So. The first thing he says is, how long is this? The first <laughs> well, thing out of his mouth. Well, and then he, then he, he had to put us on mute because Stacy was making noise in the kitchen. Oh, and, right. then, and then we, we you know, said Doug, and, and it was silence and he's like oh sorry i was on mute so anyway sorry i digress um so that was doug of off grid and doug and stacy the next episode get more serious now it was uh, episode 11 with tony jordan and tony uh is a art director creative director you know graphic design background she's currently working at carmack she's got a long agency background before that and it was fun to feature the Creative Circus. She um, got a certificate at the Creative Circus and actually was uh, faculty there for a while or adjunct teaching at the Creative Circus. So it was fun to talk about the Creative Circus because we frequently talk about VCU here on the podcast, yeah. VCU here in Richmond and the Brand Center and VCU Art. So it was fun to have a conversation about the Creative Circus. So um, I'm gonna turn it over to Dion to talk more about that episode. I liked that she talked about the transition from a contributor to a leader and what that really looks like in the design world. So going from graphic design where it's more craftsmanship and tactical, moving into art direction where you're more business problem solving and strategic. And the fact that, you know, people talk about the the art director, but it's not just the art director. It's a collaborative effort with a strong writer as well. Um, So she talked about that. And then she talked about how to grow. So as you're growing in the graphic design um, field, you need to think broadly across disciplines, and that's really going to help you um, be able to contribute at a higher level. You present with rationale to be seen as a strategic leader. Communicate the reasons behind your decision-making, because there's always a reason. But sometimes, you know, maybe you don't think to articulate it, and really getting those things out um, in a concise way, in a compelling way, can help um, advance the work. Um, She also talked about the Richmond night market and how that was interesting for her because then she was hiring a freelancer, briefing them on the project and letting go of something intentionally that was a fun project that she would have liked to work on. But part of the decision making is where should I let projects go, um, even though I'd like to work on them. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as, as, as one moves from art director into creative direction, that's a big challenge that 
good creative directors are allowed to let go. Just like any good any good leader is, and that's a tough thing. And it's neat to hear her talk about that. She talked about leading a team and about maturity as meeting people where they are and trying to figure out how to inspire them individually to to and motivating them um, to be able to take certain action. But she talked about learning about yourself. Um, That's important as a leader. And you're able to create trust within a team through projects. So it's through the work you learn about yourself as well as create trust with your team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I really like that point about meeting people where they are. Um, Some people are, as she said, trying to uh, project their vision, uh, but particularly in an environment where you have volunteers like the Richmond Night Market, you've got to work with them and, and understand mm-hmm. what their vision is and meet them where they are. Um, so I thought, yeah, that was a great conversation. I've known Tony for a few years, again, through the Advertising Club of Richmond, and we've been part of the uh, mentorship program there. So it was fun to have Tony in here in, in the podcast. I thought it was fun. She talked about creating um, a class for her graduate school, like the Creative Circus, I think you mentioned, um, she designed a class that was around brand fundraising campaigns and what that would look like. And I just, I love the freedom of that, of, of if you can teach people anything, what would you like to contribute to their education? And that was cool. Yeah, that was an interesting topic to be able to teach that with, at the Creative Circus. Well, the next episode was season two, episode 12, with Morgan Witham from CoLab. And she's the chief operating officer. And I was really excited to have her in here. And, and as I listened to that episode again recently, you can hear my <laughs> uh, excitement about having her in here. And um, you know, the question is, it's about cost, which I think some people are like, why, why is that an uh, interesting topic? But I, her background is such an interesting background coming from venture capital, uh, venture, uh, not venture capital, what am I saying? Um, investment banking, sorry, get the wrong topic here. Investment banking, where she's evaluating companies and uh, understanding what makes a good company, what makes a company profitable and sustainable, and ultimately in these transactions, uh, interesting for somebody else to buy and invest in. So her education from that makes her a great uh, person to be a chief operating officer and handle the uh, projections of forecasting the revenue, understanding the business strategy, understanding the costs and accounting side of that and some of the financing if that comes into play. So she was a really good um, uh, expert on this topic to have her come in and talk. Sorry, come in and talk about the cost side of agencies and uh, how companies want to provide benefits to their employees. But you really got to think about the the revenue and what you can do and what you know what's realistic. Mm-hmm. I think we all love doing what we do, but if you can't make it work financially, we won't be in business very long. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you got to make it sustainable, and you got to understand what it takes to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so that I I was excited to have Morgan in here, and as a, a guy who got his MBA degree at Vanderbilt, she went to Vanderbilt too, got her degree in economics there. So that's uh, where the excitement comes. Yeah, the <laughs> Commodores, the <laughs> and the rest of us are just nodding our heads. Yeah, huh? you're all, yeah, you're yeah, all, okay. yeah <laughs> you guys, you're the Vanderbilt Commodores. So it was great to have Morgan in here. Um, there were some people out there in, in the LinkedIn world that appreciate that episode, I'll tell you that. <laughs> MBAs. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, people <laughs> in, in investment banking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, 
Um, but uh, she's going to be back for yeah. uh, season three. And it was it was nice that agency work, um, which has a lot of creative, a lot of production side. This is a part of this is a reality of the business, and, mm-hmm. and she really showed that the value of it. Yeah, and you can't forget that part and just look at the shiny stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if you're going to make this work uh, long term, you got to understand the operation side of the business right. and and uh, and her background of understanding what can work, right? Looking at companies and understanding how companies have been successful and and what worked and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fantastic training. So, yeah. I, I loved having working in here for uh, for that episode. Then the next episode, episode thirteen, was a bit unusual. So Tammy and I talked about the episode, and she worked out a beautiful outline. I mean, she even scripted the, the episode. Um, and then she put together an infographic, and her topic was user experience design as well, and she's got a background in graphic design. She did some really cool infographics, and she wanted to put this out on LinkedIn, and she did. Um, so she wrote up uh, an article for LinkedIn with the infographics, scripted it all out, um, and it was just really well thought out. Um, but we we experimented a little bit on this episode. So instead of us coming into Red Amp Audio and being here in the studio together, she recorded her episode or her contributions. Um, and I thought did a, a beautiful job uh, recording um, her part of it. And then I found a different place to go record my intro and closing. So I sound different because I'm not in Red Amp Audio, and and I'm glad to be back in Red Amp Audio. I, you know, <laughs> so um, that 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 didn't go as well as I had hoped. Red Amp Audio is a better environment for me, um, but she delivered her part beautifully and and very clean uh, recording and and uh, the pacing of it, and there was an outline to it. Though, so if you um, if you have trouble following it, there's a list of questions on the show notes. Um, and if you uh, listen to this on, uh, uh, was it the Apple Podcast? Um, there are uh, show notes there that list the questions that she's answering. But I, when I put it together, I thought it was pretty self-explanatory. I felt like it, I didn't really yeah. need to interject the questions that, that she answered it so well and so cleanly. Um, so again, user experience design, a little different mm-hmm. from Janine's um, conversation. And one of the uh, the topics I really liked that she really emphasized was this 4D designer thing. Mm-hmm. A uh, what do you guys have the notes here? What does it say? What's the the 4Ds? Data driven design decisions. Data driven design decisions. Yeah, and so that kind of came to her as she uh, moved from agency side to in house and um, experienced a kind of a different philosophy, a different view of uh, developing the work that she was doing once she was in-house. Especially when she's working with a tech team. Working with a tech team is, you know, a little bit different in general than working necessarily with a creative team. They're still creative. The creative is problem solving in different ways. And mm-hmm. so I thought that was interesting as well. She talked about research design and then research and refinement. Notice that research was in there twice. Um, I especially like that your, she talked. Your strategy side is showing. No, I know it just keeps <laughs> slipping out. Um, she mentioned the feeling that she wanted users to have in the context of their experience, and she was talking about um, within the the medical community specifically in that instance. And she said, when they need healing. What's the feeling they need to have with the experience when they're interacting mm-hmm. with our technology? And I 
adore that because that is why we do what we do is to, you know, be part of people's lives. What's the best way to bring that forward? So I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. I like the, the process of a user experience person is, is evident with this one, the infographics mm-hmm. and things. That right. I, and we cannot deny the importance of continuous learning being required for a career in advertising. She mm. talked about it, and yeah. I think every one of us can talk about it. You right. know, it's it's just critical. And VCU has classes on it. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> Thank you, Professor. Another plug. Thank you, Professor. <laughs> well, Is it, here. Do you recommend a book? <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> All right, so the, the last episode uh, before this episode, so the last guest was Brian Ellis from Padilla, so episode 14, and we talked about crisis management. And Brian has a uh, long career. He's, he's closer to my age. Um, he uh, spent 10 years as a journalist, uh, television journalist um, on air, and then made the switch over to public relations and has been involved in crisis management public relations and this is when you know bad things happen and companies have to respond to these bad things that put them in in the public um, public arena and get a lot of public attention and so there were two parts of this that i thought were really important takeaways one was uh preparing for whatever might happen so he was saying most companies know what the the risks are and and what could happen and what they need to address so plan for that and understand how to respond, you know, get, get your information together and be ready to respond to that. And even more so, rehearse and practice. He talks about how clients, you know, can have a plan, but when, you know, when something happens, they're trying to figure it out and they haven't rehearsed it and it just all falls apart. And something so, will happen. And something will happen. Unplanned. Yeah. yeah. There, there are two types of companies, uh, companies that have faced a crisis and companies that will face a crisis, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> so, and those uh, that will face it again. <laughs> and yet again. So, so have a plan, develop the plan, and, and practice and rehearse it. And, and you know, one element we talked about was um, you got to know what's approved, right? So the people who are going to be interacting with the journalists or whoever they're going to be interacting with, they need, need to know what approved statements are. So getting all that worked out. So not only plan, but rehearse. The other part was this uh, concept of the uh, court of public opinion versus the court of law. And so some companies get uh, a little hung up on the court of law and kind of clam up and and don't want to talk to the public because they're trying to protect themselves in the court of law and don't want things to be used against them. But he said the court of law plays out three to five years after the crisis. And the court of public opinion happens immediately. So you could protect yourself in the court of law, but be considered guilty in the court of public opinion and have that uh, ruin your company before you ever get to the court of law. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've got to really pay attention to both sides of that, the court of public opinion and the court of law. Seems like the public opinion part is more important than the court of law. Well, well, you, you got to be, yeah, you got to be careful. <laughs> well, because I mean, we've seen people get, compl- you know, they can get completely shut down by if the whole sure, public thinks yeah, that yeah. one right. thing, and they might not, even, it might not even be illegal what they did or whatever, but they can be completely shut out and their careers. Well, he he, talk, he talks about. It. I ask him, he's like, how do you get people to pay attention to this? He says, it's really simple. Um, I get the leaders in a room and I tell them. This can either end your career or be the highlight of your career. Nice. Um, and, it's a good sales pitch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you so know, where do you want to be? Well, he, he talked about trying to be a one-day story. 
And mm-hmm. I like that. Just what do you need yeah. to do to be a one day story? Uh, be a student of crisis management because there's an art to it for sure. Um, and the importance, like you said, Parker, of training to be your best on your worst day. Yeah. And, it, and so the, um, the training, the preparing for you know, all this chaos, right? We talked about the chaos of when this happens, a lot of people are asking questions, a lot of people are trying to gather information. You've got to understand what your priorities are and know what to pay attention to and what can wait, right? What, you know, because you can't handle all of this at one point. So the preparation, the rehearsing helps you get through that. And then you know, the public opinion stuff, you've got to, you've got to respond. He talks mm-hmm. about you can't go in the bunker. You've got to respond. And we talked about social media and how you can use social media to drive people to a website or something where they can get more information, a richer set of information where you can tell more of the story and share more information with people. So you're using social media not to share the whole story but to respond to where the activity generally is, mm-hmm. you know, the onslaught of, of um, people talking about uh, the crisis is generally on social media. So you wanna be on social media where that activity is going on, but you wanna be able to bring them out of social media to a website or something where they can hear uh, uh, more details and uh, educate themselves more about what is going on with this crisis. And that's where, if you can get that information, incredible information, right? It has to be credible, trustworthy information. You can reduce a story from multi-days or weeks mm-hmm. down to a one-day story because people get it, they understand, they see the complexity of the story. Right. Um, yeah, the crisis management is a reactionary brand communications, but if you wait for it to ha- for the crisis to happen and then react to it, it's too late. And and he's he's an expert at preparing people who are something else to be ready for when they've got the microphone and the camera in their face and some other some bad things happening and uh, and he talks about he spent the first 10 years of his career creating crises for companies as a journalist yeah. on the news yeah. <laughs> and 25 <That's> years <laughs> he learned what not to do <laughs> so he's got a lot of insight manage uh, the issue to protect the brand yes yes all right. Well, this has been a really long uh, summary, but I've enjoyed the energy. I've enjoyed having everybody in the room with Thank me you. going through all this. Um, so I'm going to close this out and uh, give you a little insight on what's coming up next. So to our audience, you've been listening to the Agency Work Podcast. We've been talking about all of the interviews in Season 2 of this podcast, and this is the last episode for Season 2. Thank you, Scott, Dion, and Justin. Thank you for having Loved us. Loved it. Thanks. And to our audience, thank you for listening. I will be back with season three in September. The theme will be collaboration. So we'll be having a couple of people join me in the podcast studio, and we'll be talking about the collaboration between them. Mm -hmm. Um, And the focus of the conversations will be on agency projects. You'll uh, recognize some people from season one and season two who are coming back. And another spoiler, Dion. Can't, Ooh, can't get rid of me. Rid of <laughs> <laughs> Dion will be back for season three. So looking forward to that. With more books, I hope. Yeah, probably I, some, more, some more references to books. And Justin will be sitting in uh, as my recording engineer. That's right. Uh, so I'm looking forward to 
recording those episodes and I uh, haven't figured out when I'll start releasing them in September, somewhere in the middle of September, again on Mondays. Uh, but excited to pivot a little bit uh, on season three and focus on collaboration. All right, as we wrap this thing up, once again, this podcast was recorded at Red Amp Audio in Richmond, Virginia. Yay, Red Amp Audio. Justin? I love the plug every time. Yeah. I get excited. (laughs) This is Agency Work signing off. Nice job, everybody. Congrats on two seasons, Parker. Yeah, Yeah, indeed.